In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. If you guys remember, we stopped at 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 26. So just kind of to remind you of what's happening, so we kind of go back to the story. So we have kind of two scenes happening at the same time. We have David, who is an outcast, and David is supposed to be the next king. David the prophet has been chased by Saul, so he decided to live with the Philistines for some time. We saw that he lied to them about um, what, he's, what is he getting the money and the spoil from. He told them he's going to kill his own people to get money to the king that allowed him to stay with him. But he was actually lying because he was going to the Amaleks and killing them and getting all meat and everything and cows and everything to the king of Palestine to make him happy. So we had a scene where David is basically staying in a foreign land against the commandment of God. God told him to stay in Judah. And then we remember that David was going to fight with the Philistines against his own people and miraculously God intervened and made the lords of the Philistines tell him, no, we don't trust you to come with us unless you turn against, uh, against us to fight for your own people. So thank God God saved him because if he would have fought his own people, they would not make him a king. When he went back, we remember that he had a big scene where he came back. Obviously, we said David had 400 people with him, 400 soldiers. Everyone got married. They all have children. So when they came back, they found that the woman and the children were all taken captive by the Amalek. He repented and he prayed and he asked God. And then God told him, go and fight the Amaleks and bring back all your family. So we saw last time that he fought the Amaleks and brought back all his family. So that's where David is. David is nowhere close to the war between Israel and the Philistines. This is the big war. This is just a tangent, a side thing that's happening between David and Amaleks. And God kind of saved him from it and made, made him able to bring his own family. Now, if you guys also remember, last time we said Saul, he saw that the big army of the Philistines coming to destroy Israel. And he did not know what to do. Obviously, he killed all the priests. He has no priests to consult. He didn't go to any prophets. Samuel died. So what did he do? He went to a magician or a sorcerer and he tried to prepare the soul of Samuel the prophet. And we saw that Samuel appeared to him and told him everything that's going to happen to him. He told him, you're going to die, your children are going to die, and, and basically told him what's going to happen. And even at this point, Saul did not repent. So we have, I just want you guys to keep this in mind. We have David the prophet and we have Saul, two different scenes. And and there are two different kings of Israel. Saul is the current king right now. This is the last, we're going through the last days of his life. And then David is the next anointed king. Now we're going to finish David first and then we're going to go back to Saul. So just remember guys, when David fought the Amaleks, what happened? He had 600 people, 400 came with him and 200 told him, no, the road is hard. We cannot cross with you. It's a very difficult road. So... When they won the war against the Amaleks, when they came back, the 400 told him it's not fair to give some of the spoil to the 200 who didn't go to war with us. So David told them, no, we're going to give everybody the same. Okay, so he gave, he was generous, he gave everybody. Now, this is where chapter 26 is. Uh, chapter 29, uh, 20, uh, 30, verse 26. So David did not only give his own soldiers, those who fought and those who did not 
uh, fight, look what he did in, chapter, in verse 26. Now when David came to Ziklag, he sent some of the spoils to the elders of Judah, to his friends, saying, Here is a present for you from the spoil of the enemies of the Lord. David, because he repented and he was joyful, he started giving even to the people of Judah. You guys remember who are the people of Judah? They are his own family. But many times they used to go to Saul and tell him, look, here is David, come and kill him. But what happens is when I repent, I am overfilled with joy. Why? Because God gave me so much mercy that I don't deserve. But the natural progression is that I start giving other people. When I'm cheap, when I don't want to give, it's not because I am worried, it's because I haven't repented. I haven't tasted the love and the mercies of God. So David told the people of Judah, told them, look, I'm going to give you food for free. I mean, they are going to war. The Philistines are going to war with Israel. So he started helping them. He says, to those who were in Bethel, to those who were in Ramoth of the south, to those who were in Jeter. David, Bethel, by the way, yani it's, it's, it's an unknown city of Judah, not the Bethel that we know. The, uh, uh, the, the Jetar is about 12 miles southwest of Haran. It's a Levitical city. An yani Levitical city means a city for the priest. So he's giving even spoil to the city of the priest. Even though the priest at this time politically would not benefit him much. You know, you can argue because let me just tell you something small. Next next book, Second Samuel, who's gonna ordain David a king over Judah? The elders of Judah. So you might say, well, he gave them the spoil just so they can, you know, make him a king one day. But actually, obviously he had no intention. He didn't know that Saul is gonna die. But he also gave the city of the priest, the Levitical, Levitical city. He knows they are not going to give him anything. They are not going to give him any political support. He's giving for the sake of giving because he was overwhelmed with joy. And those who were in Aurora and those who were in Shephmoth and those who were in Ashtamah, all these are cities in Judah, 12 miles from Beersheba. One is 8 miles south of Haran. So it they're all cities in Judah. He basically went to all the places in Judah, all where his families are, and he gave each one of them a portion of a spoil that they have not worked for. Those who were in Rachel, uh, those who were in the cities of Jerm the Jermalites, those who were in the cities of the Canaanites, uh, those who were in Hormah, those who were in the city of Charshan, uh, and those who were uh, uh, in the city when in attached. He gave all of them some of the spoil. Regardless, his own people tried to betray him. He said, God give me so much, I'm going to give everybody. I think a lot of times in our spiritual life, our motivation can become different. Sometimes, I don't want to say sometimes, but most of the time, our motivations becomes from ourselves. You know, I feel guilty, so I do this. I feel shame, so I do this. I feel I want to be rich, so I do this. I feel I want 
to uh, I'm afraid of this, so I do this. You know, big, big driving forces for people, fear, guilt, all this stuff. One of the most beautiful driving force is that when I receive from God. Because I give and I forget myself. God give me so much that I give, I give, I give, and I don't even feel that I give. Because he has given me everything. Those who were in Hebron, to all the places where David himself and his men were accustomed to rule. Basically, David said, you know what? I was in Judah for some time. God told me to stay in Judah. He was in the forest. He was an outcast. But he said, even those people who did not really welcome me in, but I was in their land, I will give them part of the spoil. And by the way, Hebron, this is, the, this is located 19 miles southeast of Jerusalem. And it was the place where Abraham built an altar to the Lord in Genesis 13, 18. And it, it was a Levitical city, means a city for priests, a, a, a city for, for refuge. And later on, he will use it as his capital before he moves on to Jerusalem later on. So this ends kind of a scene with David the prophet. We're not going to see David the prophet anymore in 1 Samuel. Now we're going to see what happens to Saul. So this ends the tangent war that I was telling you about with, between David and, and, um, and the people of the Amalek. Let's see what happened with Saul in, in chapter 31. Now the Philistines fought against Israel. And the men of Israel fled before, for, before the Philistines and fell slain on Mount Galbo. As David was pursuing the Amaleks, the Philistines are pursuing Israel. So Israel, by the way, were located in Mount Galbo. So what happens is the Philistines came and tried to fight them. Tried to find them. There's one thing I want you guys to know. Throughout Saul's life, throughout Saul's life, he got away with so many things. He was a king. He did so many evil things. He rejected the voice of God. And it seemed at some point that God is making him successful. It seemed at some point that, wow, look at this man. He's terrible, but still he has everything he wanted. But there comes a day for judgment. There comes a day for judgment. He had many chances, but today is the day of his judgment. God told him, your time of repentance is getting close and God gives him many signs and see what's, what's going to happen to him. Then the Philistines followed hard after Saul and his sons and the Philistines killed Jonathan, Abedinab, and Mel Melchishoi, Saul's children, Saul's sons. So the Philistines killed Saul and three of his children. By the way, Saul had four children. So he only killed three of his four children. Okay. The battle became fierce against Saul. The archers hit him, and he was severely wounded by the archers. Obviously, already Samuel told him that you will die in this war. And going to war, he did not consider repenting before going to war. He did not consider moving with God and trying to change his life before a very critical stage in his life. 
So what happened? He got hit with an arrow, with an armor, with an with a, uh, archer. So what happened? Then Saul said to the, his arm bearer, draw your sword and thrust me through with it, lest these uncircumcised men come and thrust me th uh, through and abuse me. But his arm bearer would not, for he was greatly afraid. Therefore Saul took a sword and fell on it. And when his arm bearer saw that Saul was dead, he also fell on his own sword and died. What's happening here? When Saul was hit and the battle is so strong, his own children died, he saw that there's no way he will survive. So he said, if I fell in the hands of the Philistines, they will mock me. They will make fun of me. They'll probably make an example of me. So he said to protect my dignity, his dignity, he asked his arm bearer, the guy who carries his, uh, his weapons, he told him, kill me. The arm bearer refused. Because in Israel, it's a big sin to kill anybody, especially the anointed of the Lord. Now, let's stop here for a couple of minutes, okay? Because this is very important. What Saul did here is not according to the law of God. No matter, the laws of God are clear that God gives life and takes life. So you should not, to protect your own dignity, to say, you know what, I'm going to kill myself. Now the other problem is, is his own servant learned from him. Instead of learning to trust in God and to be faithful, his own servant killed himself. People who follow God, they love life. They love life. I know we talk a lot about the kingdom and death and all this stuff, but we're not talking about it because we hate life. It's actually quite the opposite. We know that we were pursuing a better life. So here, Saul taught his servants bad behaviors. That's why it's very important for each one of us to examine who do we look up to? Who do we follow? You're going to tell me I follow God. Yes, but every person subconsciously, they have a role model they follow in their mind. And I'll tell you a good way to figure it out. Go to your bedroom and see who you have hung on the walls. Some people have Michael Jordan. Some people have uh, Kobe Bryant. Some people have whatever it is you have on your walls. It's a reflection of who you look up to in certain aspect of your life. So Saul, his three sons, his arm bearer, and all his men died together that same day. This is the, the, the armor and all his men. They all died, they all died in, the, in the same day. You find this in First Chronicles, also 10.6. And when the men of Israel who were on the other side of the valley and those who were on the other side of the Jordan saw that the men of Israel had fled and, the, and that Saul and his sons were dead, they forsake the cities and fled and the Philistines came and dwelt in them. By the way, here there are two differences of men of Israel, but each one is a different group. The first one is soldiers, the second one is actually the people. So the people were looking 
and they saw that Israel are losing the battle, so they left the cities, they abandoned the cities, abandoned for the enemy to come. And this is, by the way, important because a lot of times as, a, as leaders of our own life, whether in our homes, in our jobs, everywhere, if we as children of God abandon our warfare, those who are watching from far will leave their, even their little attachment to God. And how many times, for example, people will go on a bachelor party, for example, or bachelor, uh, yeah, bachelor trip, bachelor party trip, and then there will be one good person in the trip. And people will say, look, even this person is drinking. Even this, is, this person is doing that. And that person becomes a reason for everybody else to feel good about committing the sin. It would have been better if he never went. His presence is causing more problems than it's helping. So here we see this. When the people of God abandon their wars, people who are watching they also abandon their cities. And I want to tell you a secret. There are people who are watching that you don't even know. And I can tell you this as a priest, because I have many people come and be like, Avuna, I look up to this person. I told you one time, a lady came to me and told me, Avuna, there's one girl that was attending the liturgy, Nativity Feast liturgy, and she looked very, very holy. I want you to introduce me to her. Told her to what she looked like. She had no idea. And she was like, you probably know her. I was like, I, no, no information. She's expecting me to know her. But here's the thing. What's happening is people are watching. I'm not interested in us to be obsessed with what people are watching. So I want you to understand the responsibility that we have. We do not get grace without responsibility. We do not come to church and enjoy confession and communion and sacraments, all stuff, without a responsibility to the world. Just like the, the rich have a responsibility toward the poor, we also have a responsibility to those who do not know. And it happened that the next day when the Philistines came to strip the slain, that they found Saul and his three sons fallen on Mount Galboa. So they found, they saw Saul and his three sons dead. After they cut off their heads and stripped off their armor, and sent words throughout the land of the Philistines to proclaim and claim it in the temple of their idols among the people. Then they put his armor in the temple of Ashtaroth, and they, fast, they, they fastened his body to the wall of Bashan. So what happened? You guys remember it was a common, common tradition. If, uh, if, if Philistines or any of the nations around them won a battle, they will take some sort of like the highlight of the victory, and they put it in the temple of their God as an offering to show their God, look, you have done a wonderful job. If you guys remember at the beginning of 1 Samuel, that's what happened. They took the, the, the Ark of Covenant and they put it in the, in the temple of Ashtaroth. And then they woke up the next morning, they found all the statues broken. Obviously now, it's not going to be the same because they took Saul's armor, they put it, uh, into, they put it into the, in the temple, and then they took his body stuck it to the wall so people walking around they can see 
the king of Israel humiliated. In the old days, humiliating a dead man was an extremely dishonorable act. And it shows extreme hatred. So Saul, even though he was honored in his life, he was disgraced, disgraced in his death. And something very interesting, and I was thinking about this verse, verse 11, and I'll tell you my thoughts. Now the inhabitants of Jabash Galiad heard what the Philistines had done to Saul. All the valiant men arose and traveled all night and took the body of Saul and the bodies of his sons from the wall of Bashan, and they came to Jabesh and burned them there. Let's get a stop here. Who are the people of Jabesh Gilead? If you guys remember a long time ago when we started 1 Samuel, when, when Saul started his life with God, he was a good king. So those people cried and told him, come, the Philistines are coming and they want to enslave us. Remember when they told him, uh, if, you want, if, you want us to, if you don't want us to come fight you, we're going to block one of your eyes. Very early 1 Samuel. So Saul came and saved them from the Philistines. See what the Bible is saying. This verse actually is very sad. Why is it very sad? Because Saul did a couple of good things in his life. But God told him, look, I'm going to give you all your reward on this earth. Because Saul most likely is not going to have a place in the kingdom of God. Because he did not repent. He did not heed to the voice of God. But God told him, remember, God honored him a lot in his life. But he told him, even remember the good that you did at the beginning of your life? Here's the payback for it. That's why the children of God, they might look at people in the world and say, wow, they're very successful. They have everything. Yes, because the Bible said they have received the reward on earth. They have received the reward on earth. The other thing also I want you guys to know is that in the Old Testament, it is prohibited to, to burn the body of the dead. You know, now in, in our life, people do something called crem cremations. They take the body and burn it. And a lot of times they burn it because it saves money. Because to bury somebody, in a, you bring a casket and a tomb, it's very expensive. So when you just burn the body and take the ashes, very, very cheap. Obviously, we, the children of God, believe that God also honored our body. And the body will be risen from the dead. So we don't believe in cremation, but also in Amos 2.1, Look, it says, it says, for the three transgressions of Moab and four, I will not turn away its punishment. God says, I will not turn away its punishment because he burned the bones of the kings of Adam to lime. So because the people burned the body, God says he will punish them. So we as the children of God obviously know that this is a behavior that the scripture does not allow. 
and it shows, so even though that the people of, uh, people of, uh, of Jabesh, Goliath, wanted to show favor to, to Saul because their lack of the law during Saul's kingdom, it seems like Saul did not care so much about teaching the people about the law. He was a good king in a sense of, you know, like if you guys remember the beginning of Saul's life, there was not a single, there's only one or two swords in all Israel. All Israel only had two swords. He built an army, he built the big homes, he built big cars, he built all this stuff. But the spirituality of the people were not taken care of. So they did not understand the law and then basically they committed some of the most unexpected sins. Then they took their bones and buried them under the termex term tree at Jabesh and fasted seven days. So this is, my friends, is the end of the life of David, the prophet, where of, of Saul, the king, the first king of Israel, who started a relationship with God very strong, and then his life ended in a bad note. I was talking to people earlier, I was telling them that's why it's important, remember what the Bible says, look at the ends of their life. And he don't tell me this saint, uh, Pope Krolos used to do this when he was young. Look at the end of their life. Because the end of the life is a sign or reflection of their perfection. People at the beginning of their life, they might have made many mistakes or not mature yet. God worked with them until he perfected them. Saul started very good. He was prophesying. He was uh, holy, he was praying, he was fasting, and then all of a sudden he lost everything. And he tried to defend the kingdom by his own power. Now we're going to start 2 Samuel, and by the way, 2 Samuel is a continuation of 1 Samuel. Like you won't feel, um, it's a two, two separate books, it's almost the same book, but people split it just for ease. And 2 Samuel is all about David. It's all about David's life. David as a king. And obviously David, we know in the scripture that David is the biggest anti-type uh, anti of Christ. So he is a type of Christ in the Old Testament. And as we go through his life, we already have seen David the prophet as he was running away, as he was a child and all that stuff. And I'll tell you guys something. David the prophet, as a, as a person who's running away from Saul, as a person who's looking after the sheep, was a much better David the prophet than the one who was a king. As a king, he made big mistakes. And I'm telling you the guys this because constantly you have to keep in my mind that power corrupts. And if I leave myself unchecked and un, un unable to accept criticism I am leaving my heart for corruption but obviously again also remember I told you earlier about 1st Samuel 2nd Samuel most likely was also written by Nathan and Gad the prophets yes they called it Samuel because it's a transition from judges to kings the first three kings of Israel are the key ones because after the first three kings of Israel, Israel is no longer one kingdom. It will become two kingdoms. So Saul, David, 
Solomon. After this, it becomes two kingdoms. So Israel only had three kings, but it was a united kingdom. And as we said before, again, we're really interested in how God deals with people's life. History tells, tells me about my story. David the prophet, we're going to see him falling into lust and sexual desires and enmity and jealousy and all the things that we all face. Story of a child of God who loved God, who had miracles when he was young, who grew in the church, and all of a sudden, he's doing things that nobody would expect. So we'll go through this. Now it came to pass, you guys remember David, we lift him all the way after he defeated the Amaleks and he gave all this nice gift to the Judah, to Judah, the people of Judah. Now we'll see what happens. Now it came to pass after the death of Saul, when David had returned from the slaughter of the Amaleks, and David had stayed two days in Ziklag. Obviously, David is not aware. He knows there is a war between Philistines and Israel. He doesn't know what's happening so far. He doesn't know that Saul is dead. He doesn't know any of this information. On the third day, behold, it happened that a man came from Saul's camp with his clothes torn and dust on his head. So it was when he came to David that he fell to the ground and prostrated himself. And David said to him, Where have you come from? So he said to him, I have escaped from the camp of Israel. Then David said to him, How did the matter go? Please tell me. And he answered, The people have fled from the battle. Many of the people were fallen and dead, and Saul and Jonathan, his son, are dead. A young man came to him. Obviously, when we said people tore their clothes and put ashes, it's a big sign of grief. But this guy, he's, we'll see later, he's a liar. He's basically coming, show that he's sad for the death of Saul. But more interestingly, he's really interesting he's interested in flattering David so he can make him uh, a leader with him and we'll see David actually does something as we go through it's very interesting as we go through it David had clear principles a couple of principles that he was stuck to throughout his life and I think they helped him a lot but let's continue to see so David said to the young man who told him how did you know that Saul and Jonathan his son are dead. How did you know they are dead? Then the young man who told him said, As I happened by chance to be in Mount Galva, there was Saul leaning on his spear, and indeed the chariots and horsemen followed hard after him. You see, his, his, the beginning of the story he's saying is different than what we heard. Beautiful lie. He's telling him as, as walking by the mountain. If you were happening, oh, he's walking by the mountain, you know, just having a good time, watching the war. So as he was walking by the man, I saw Saul leaning on his spear. What does he mean by leaning on his spear? It means like he's telling him Saul was hurt or, or got injured and he was leaning on his spear to just kind of help himself out. And then the chariots. The chariots were the best weapons that the Philistines had. It's like a cart with three wheels and, a, and horses and they come and they kill you. Saul was leaning on his spear and, he, and the chariots were following him. Obviously, in his mind, this guy's mind, thinks he's telling David great news. Saul is dead. Everybody knows David is going to be the next king. So this is good news. But he has to fake it. You know, like he has to play the, you know, he has to play the, the role of like, oh, we're set for the king and all that stuff. He's trying to be perfect liar. We'll see what happens to him. When he looked behind him, he saw me and called me and answered. And I answered, here I am. So Saul saw this guy just walking in the battle, told him, come, come. And he said to me, who are you? So I answered him, I am an Amal Amalekite. Amalekite, by the way, they're not Jews. They are 
people that David himself was just fighting right now. He said to me again, please stand over me and kill me for anguish has come upon me, but my life still remains in me. So he told him, Saul came and told me, kill me. You know, most likely this guy, we're going to see later, he have heard how Saul died, so he tried to kind of get himself involved in the story to seem like a hero. So I stood over him and killed him because I was sure that he could not live after he had fallen. And I took the crown that was on his head and the bracelet that was on his arm and have brought it them here to my Lord. Yes, salam. So what did he do? What did he do? What did he do? He took, he told him, look, Saul was going to die. So he asked me to kill him. So I killed him. And after I killed him, I took the crown and the bracelet and everything. And I brought it to you, David. Look at this perfect lie. First of all, there is news that, that Saul killed himself. Okay? Or he died on his own, not from the people of Philistines. So this guy, the story, if you're Czech, you might feel it's a good story. He's showing that he's sad for the death of the king of Israel. Showing some sort of loyalty. But he's also a thief. He stole Saul's stuff and he's trying to use it to get favor with David. Saying, I brought you the crown. I brought you the bracelets. Okay? Now, look. If David was a greedy man and hungry for power, he would have kept this guy around him. And people, a lot of times, keep the wrong people around them because of selfishness. What's the best way to win people over? Flatter them. So here, he's trying to win David over by flattering and playing the game. Look at David's reaction to show you how pure this guy is. So then David took hold of his own clothes and tore them. And so did all the men who were with him. St. John Cassian says, David went beyond the, law, the law's command to pay back one's enemy in kind by mourning and avenging the death of Saul. So Saul was the enemy of David. But David loved him. He loved his enemy. That when he heard the news that Saul died, he's not like, yes, I'm going to be a king. He started crying for seven days. He gave his enemy his love after his death. That shows you how loyal a friend is. Is that after the death, you find him actually caring for your family. Caring for the people you left behind. And then they mourned and wept and fasted until evening for Saul and Jonathan, his son, for the people of the Lord and the house of Israel, because they had fallen by the sword. So David and his men, they're all, all soldiers. They wept and they fasted until night. Why did they fast? They were sad for Saul, for Jonathan, and for all the people of Israel. You know, I'll tell you guys something. A lot of times we're faced by problems in our, in our life. And very little time people are willing to offer praying and fasting for the problem they have. I remember 
sometime in Egypt, it was very common when a problem comes, our parents will say, let's, let's fast Wednesday, well, we fast Wednesday and Friday already, and then they say, let's add Thursday. It's Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, as a fast for a problem that people have. And how beautiful it would be if I fast for somebody who has a problem that is not mine. Without me trying to, you know, be on their faces and show them, how about I fast on their behalf? How even amazing would be if I'm doing this for those who mistreat me and those who misjudge me. This is what David did. Then David said to the young man who told him, Where are you from? And he answered, I am a son of an alien, an Amalekite. If you guys remember, I'm sorry, I'm try, trying to make you remember a lot of stories. If you guys remember, there's a story we read in First Samuel when David hid in a priest city and then Saul was so angry, he brought all the priests. And then what happened? He killed all the priests. What did, do, what did Saul do? He told his soldiers, kill the priests. The soldiers refused. Who killed them? It was Doag the Adomite. He was a foreigner who serves the king and who came and the king told him, you kill them. So because he was a foreigner, he had no respect for the priest. He had no respect for, this guy doesn't have, have no respect for the anointment, an, an anointed of God. So in David's mind, this guy does not, does not know and respect the laws of God. Look what he told him. So David said to him, how was it you were not afraid to put forth your hand to destroy the Lord's anointed? He told him, you don't understand what you have done. You have killed the Lord's anointed. You think I'm going to be happy? I'm not happy. Then David called one of his young men and said, Go near and execute him and struck him so that he is, and, and, and he struck him so that he, he died. So David said to him, Your blood is in your own head, for, for your own mouth has testified against you, saying, I have killed the Lord's anointed. St. Augustine said something beautiful. He said, In the absence of a law, that commands taking a life, killing another is unlawful, even if done out of mercy. Let me say this one more time. In the absence of a law that commands command taking a life, killing another life is unlawful, even if done out of mercy. You guys hear now about some people do what's called assisted suicide. Or some, want, some, some person wants to end their life, they go to a clinic, and people give them, like, a, a, the doctor gives them a medicine, they say goodbye to their family, and then they, they kill themselves. This is unlawful. This is not accepted in the scripture. So David told him, you killed the anointed of God, you should not have done this. So this guy's lie caused him his life. He tried to flatter the king and he called him. And by the way, 
this is important because in my life, if I don't have principles that I stand by, I will find myself accepting strange things into my life. I remember one of the fathers was telling me they had a very holy bishop visiting them in one of the cities in Egypt. So it came 9 p.m. But they told him, I said, no, there are people waiting for you. He told him, no, no, let everybody go. And they told him, no, I said, no, they came all, this way, all the way for you. I said, no, 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 I don't want anybody. And then he went, and then he stayed in his room, and then the next morning he apologized. And he told Abuna, that Ashan Abuna was a bit upset that this, uh, this bishop kind of went to his own room early. He told him, look, from 9 p.m., it's my time with God. And I don't compromise on this even if anything happens, no matter what. Principle. Somebody has a principle that they don't lie. No matter what, I will not lie. Principle. And by the way, principles gives you confidence. Principles give you confidence. Not your looks, not your success, not you waiting for people to compliment you. Knowing what you stand for gives you confidence. The other things are a reason for ego and pride. But principles give me the confidence to see myself acting in the right way. When David had principles, the one principle that he kept repeating throughout First Samuel, I cannot put my hand on the anointing of the Lord. In the cave, I cannot put my hand on it. In the middle of the, when he, he soul was under his feet, I cannot put my hand on it. This is one principle he had. If I have a principle in my life that I do not accept negative talks, principle. A principle that I will not go to sleep unless I pray. I will not take money until I give its tithe. I will not sleep while somebody's upset with me. Principles. I have to check myself against what principles I stand for. If I have no principles in life, I will fall for anything. Because anything that makes me feel good will make me just run after. So what David did, might, some people might think it's a bit extreme. But he had a principle. And sometimes when we follow principles, people think you are extreme. But principles help us come to what, to know who we are and what we stand for and glory be to God forever and ever.